Okay, so welcome to this MACP podcast. My name is Uzo Ehiog and um, I'm with uh, Dr. Ian Horsley. Um, we're going to be talking today about all things shoulder and also the upcoming uh, Physio UK talk where um, we're very lucky to have uh, Ian Horsley talking. Ian, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? for this um, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak at uh, Physio UK. Um, my, my background is obviously I, I'm a physiotherapist. I've been qualified a long time so I'm just uh, starting my 31st year uh, postgraduate so which makes me feel really old now that I've just worked that out uh, and I uh, follow the traditional path of uh, qualifying working in, in the NHS and then I moved out in towards uh, sports medicine and the musculoskeletal uh, side of physiotherapy, where which le- led me to my current position, which I am uh, a technical lead physiotherapist for the English Institute of, of Sport. Uh, I have a split role. I deliver treatment uh, and rehabilitation to our, our athletes, our athletes that we look at, our Olympic athletes and also the Paralympic athletes. And then within the organisation, we also look after two non-Olympic sports, which are squash uh, and, and netball. And then alongside of this, I am clinical director of Back in Action Re- Rehabilitation in, in Wakefield, which is uh, my uh, physio practice uh, that's uh, multidisciplinary. There we've got five, five physios, uh, a podiatrist, and then we have associated, we've got a psychologist, nutritionist, uh, and a few doctors and consultants who, who work out of there. So that's my that's that pays my mortgage and supports my <laughs> wife and children's shopping habits. Uh, and from a, a from a personal interest, uh, passionate about education, passionate about about physiotherapy, and with that in mind, uh, I've been a member of the education committee for uh, the British Elbow and Shoulder Society. Uh, as a, a uh, AHP rep uh, for just a year now, uh, and then I have done the same uh, role on the European Society of Shoulder and Elbow Rehabilitation (USA). I've been on the come there for about four four years uh, from that. So again, trying to work uh, and get the information out there about shoulders and shoulder rehab. Mm. Uh, and then personally, I run. A, a commercial course through uh, health education seminars called Athletic Shoulder, which I run alongside a colleague of mine, Ben, ben Ashworth. And then finally, I have an, a, a bit of an associate lecture job at uh, Salford University, where I uh, teach on a couple of the modules on their MSc in sports rehabilitation. So you are really, as uh, Karin Khan says, you are the triple threat. So the educator, the researcher, and also the uh, clinician on the ground as well. Um, So with that in mind, so you're going to be talking at um, Physio UK this year um, in the musculoskeletal uh, uh, stream. Sorry, Um, Why don't you tell us what you're going to be talking about and and why you're so passionate about it? Because you are a passionate guy as far as physiotherapy and, and shoulders are concerned. Uh, using research to improve our management of shoulder pain um, and it's quite interesting I, I do find a lot of what's going on uh, now around the discussions around physiotherapy in general but certainly around the shoulder uh, uh, are a good thing especially now in the days of uh, sort of uh, social social media uh, but, but I, I do think that it's going a little bit too far uh, one way P- 
people are sort of um, are tending to sit in bunkers, okay. you know, and, and we're, 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 we're almost parodying what went on in uh, in the Monty Python and the Life of Brian, <laughs> uh, where we've got the, the people's front of Judea haranguing the rivals and cries of splitters and vehemently opposed to the Judean people front and the Judeans popular people's front. I think we're all travelling in, in the same direction. Yeah. Uh, and and we we have difference of, of opinions of of how to assess pe- people uh, about what what methods of assessment, what methods of treat, treatment work. And, mm. and I, I think open and honest discussion is fair, but I think some of the derogatory comments that are made about sometimes certain individuals, but also certain certain treatments are not helpful to, to the profession at all. Mm. Can be confusing, uh, confusing to to our patients. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if we think about about shoulders, and one of the things that I'll sort of cover in, in my presentation is we can't even seem to agree on what we're going to call that thing <laughs> when it uh, around around your shoulder. Yeah. So how do we agree on what's the best best management mm. about? Uh, then we've got the, our, our orthopedic tests that we use. There's over 130 of those. Why have we got 130 of those? Um, and what's so special about the, these, these special tests anyway? Mm. Uh, their sensitivities and specificities are all over the place. Mm. And we need to understand, uh, understand that. So what I'd like to get us all back, back together, okay, I acknowledge as our, our differences, but all try and work um, to, towards uh, the common goal of Im- improving uh, the profile of physiotherapy uh, mm. externally and raising the, 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 the research out- outcome from the physiotherapy profession. Yeah, it sounds interesting. No, and, and, and you're right, there is a lot of... I think what the, the issues are there's a lot of information um, so there's a lot of research, there's a lot of different theories and philosophies, but I guess ultimately, I mean, you know, certainly from my perspective as a clinician and um, and as an educator, it always comes to putting the patient squarely in the centre and actually everything everything revolves around the patient. Um, but yeah, but it's tricky. But I think that presentation will be um, well received actually when you when you deliver that and quite thought provoking as well. Um, as it's as it's quite topical, especially you know the role of social media within um, the dissemination of knowledge translation and, and so on. Um, but if we could move on a little bit, because you've done a lot of your own, a lot of your research has been focused around um, sensory motor control, and that's quite an interesting area. Um, from your research, what's what's your current thinking on sensory motor control, and and what role do you think, if any, it has clinically? within um, sports injury prevention? I mean, one of the things that, that happened almost by accident in, in when we were doing my, my PhD, one of the studies that we looked at uh, was to look at actually changes in joint position sets uh, around the shoulder. So my, my PhD basically uh, tried to, to look at um, why we get so many repeated shoulder injuries within professional football, which yeah. was based. Uh, uh, RFU uh, injury audit, uh, and so one of the things we did, uh, we, we knew that tackling was was the, the most injurious part of the game uh, of, of rugby for, for the shoulder. So we we looked at uh, what happened when we simulated uh, ten 
10 tackles on the shoulder uh, and what happened to the joint position sense of the shoulder. And we found that after competing 10 simulated tackle, there was a significant decrease in, in the uh, shoulder joint position sense. And as we know, because of the sort of inherent uh, instability uh, around the joint, so we've got loads of mobility around the shoulder joint, but not a, not a lot of, of stability, certainly not osseous stability around there. Mm. That, that control is mediated through sort of proprioception. Yeah. And, and yeah, that was, sort of Sherrington called it a sort of our sixth set sense and that ability to determine where our limbs are in space, so that joint position sense and our ability to detect movement which is kinesthesia mm. um, and so it, to, to maintain a healthy and, and stable joint just in everyday activity that it needs an, an intact proprioceptive system so our mechanoreceptors which are in the capsule and, and, and the labrum and as well uh, as going through their sort of muscle and, and, and tendon units mm. around there. there's central nervous system of feedback and, it, and that will help us with our feed forward for our, our p positioning and, and stability around, around the joint. Mm. And we, we know that, 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 that injury or even just trauma to, to, to a joint can cause a temporary sort of switching off of, of the, the proprioceptive response around a joint, but we're uh, talking about the shoulder joint. Yeah. So we get a thing called deafferentation. Okay. So we get changes in this feed-forward mechanism and this sort of pre-stiffening that sort of milliseconds before we move to keep that, that ball, the humeral head, sat in the middle of the, middle of the, of the socket. Mm. And, and, and as we saw from, um, from, from the studies that we did in, in, in rugby, that we, there was a, a, a relatively high recurrence rate around shoulders. And, and looking into my own practice and, and common practice at the time, we don't regularly assess proprioception around around the shoulder yeah. uh, ac across the board. If we think of lower limb, you know, we do it all the time, we'll get somebody to stand on one leg, stand on one leg with your eyes closed, stand yeah. on a sit fit, yeah. and we, we'll assess that for any lower limb uh, condition, but routinely around the shoulder, we, we don't seem to do that, and, and, we, and, and which seems um, strange because we've got a massively un unstable joint in yeah. the shoulder. And, and my personal feelings for why we don't do it often, that if you look in literature, the way in papers and research it's delivered, it uses expensive equipment. It does. It and does. that's connected dynamometer, which takes forever to, to set up. Yeah. So, so we need to look at it, that there are some, some, some cheap and, and cheerful and, and sort of validated yeah. uh, ways of doing that. What sort of what sort of things? I mean, you know, because we've got access to technology, you know, we've got essentially we all walk around with mini computers in our pockets, i.e., our smartphones. Um, you know, is, is there any are there any apps or anything that we can use using smartphone technology or laser guided pointers or anything like that that just help potentially? Yeah, all, all of those, yeah. So, like you say, we've all got smartphones. There's loads of apps. You know, that the one that I tend to use is one called Get My Rum, but any app will do. Okay, so you, you can use uh, joint reprodu reproduction tests. So you can lay somebody, generally supine, blindfold them, put, often we put their arm at 90 degrees abduction with 90 degrees of elbow flexion, and then so their fingers will be pointing to, to the ceiling, and we will move them towards external rotation to an angle which we'll measure on our on our iPhone, 
hold there for five sec- seconds, take them back to the start position, ask ask the subject to, to repeat the angle that they're at. Yeah. So we can look at that, that area, and that's quite easy. If you, you know, if you haven't got a phone or your battery's gone flat or whatever, mm. then you can, what you can do is use one arm and place that in a three-dimensional position in space. Yeah. And mirror it with the other arm, which is called contralateral arm mirroring. Yeah. As, as you mentioned, Uzo, that the laser pen's a, 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 great, a great thing, okay? And there's, you know, there's been some good research by Bulk. Um, that you know that, that they use the, uh, the laser pen active repositioning task. Mm. If you stand one meter away from a, a target, and the centre of your target uh, is where you want the laser, you get your your subject to with their eyes open, find that position, shine the laser on that position, hold it there for five seconds. Then you blindfold them, get to take their arm down, and then you look for them uh, relocating to that position. Yeah. And then you look for the distance of error. And, and again, uh, at one metre from, from the target, the paper says that if you've got less than four centimetre error from your target position, then you've got excellent uh, drop position sense. Fantastic. <laughs> Between four and eight, it, it is good. Uh, eight to 12 it is, is sort of average. But if you've got greater than 12 centimetres, it's considered, uh, considered poor. Um, from there, and, and that's quite good. And then yeah. finally, the, at Stanmore, they developed the, the, the um, Stanmore test where you uh, lay on your side, take your arm up into, uh, sorry, the patient takes their arm up into vertical with their eyes, eyes closed, okay? Then you take them down and see if they can get up into vertical, so 90 degrees of abduction, and it's in the coronal and the sagittal plane. And again, you can just look at the, whether they can uh, reproduce that sign. So you can use it from having a phone having or having no phone, and, and, and they're pretty good at giving you some indication. Fantastic. So some real useful clinical tools that actually our listeners can put to use um, with you know real clinical relevance. Now, that's fantastic. Now, you've also done some work, or I'm sure you've got some ideas around um, the influence of fatigue, you know, Exercise, exercise and uh, tissue loading is in vogue uh, currently at the moment, you know, within the literature on social media. What's your perspective on um, the influence of fatigue on sensory motor control? And what are its implications, do you reckon, for uh, rehabilitation and the uh, clinician on the ground? There's there's been quite a number of of sort of research around that at the shoulder over over the years. Uh, and, And again, depending on what we assess whether it's that sort of that kinesthesia, that detection of movement, or that joint reposition uh, that uh, that, we're, that we're looking at from there. That, you know, some papers say that um, that after exercise you get uh, a, a, um, a, a decrease in proprioception uh, yeah. from there. So that ability to detect the onset of movement, okay, is significantly increased by over seventy percent. Which, uh, whether you're going into internal or external rotation around around the shoulder, and and as as we can see also in other papers showing that that ability to detect the the joint position sense. So we know that the most in, sort of injurious position to the uh, shoulder is that ABA position, that abduction external rotation, that ninety ninety, yeah, uh, uh, that apprehension position that we're testing from yeah. there. Uh, and, uh, and 
as we saw in our um, in our especially with our, our rugby players that as we move to external rotation uh, we we have a, a, a lack of, of appreciation of that joint and the further that we get into that abduction external rotation the more we're exposing our, our joint to potential of, of, of injury mm. if if our capsule ligamentous structures are not telling us that they're being put under tension, then that doesn't give our, um, our signal to our central nervous system to get the local muscular uh, system to work and, and work on sort of actively trying to stabilise mm. uh, that, uh, that, that person's humeral head in, in, in the socket. And as we can see with some of the, again, keep talking about my, my research, but again, if you look at rugby, we know that there was a greater increase in injuries in the in the second half uh, oh. of, of, of a match. And, and one of the studies that we, we looked at, again, which has been done by an MSC student, was looking at, again, repeating the tackle study, and we looked at the time for normalisation, so that, that uh, to get it back to being accurately, to be able to uh, produce joint position sense. That after 15 minutes, they still weren't as accurate as bit before doing doing 10 tackles. So that is going to lead you to a position of, of vulnerability mm. within within your shoulder. And even in everyday activities, you know, if you work in a job where you are a, a plasterer working overhead or, or a painter, mm. then there's likelihood that that could create some, some overload and some trauma. And if you think about a sport like contact sport like rugby or swimming yeah. or, or tennis, where the forces are greater around there, it, it, there is an increased uh, propensity for, for you to get, get some damage with fatigue. Yeah, with fatigue. So, in terms of um, in terms of the clinical implications, in terms of where we might take that patient from a rehabilitation perspective, um, what sort of what's what? How does that influence your practice by knowing that fatigue affects joint position sense? Um, and, and if you're you know, rehabilitating someone and you're taking them to the stage where you want to modify that, how does how does that influence how you might? Um, deal with that particular patient in terms of management any any patient that we're we're working with we we need to find what are they um uh, Diane Lee and, and LJ Lee called their, their meaningful task, their meaningful task analysis. So we need to see, in this case, around the shoulder, what is the p- position that provokes their, their symptoms. Yeah. And, and it's generally some degree of elevation with some degree of external rotation. Mm. And as we go through our, our rehab program, we'll, we'll re- retest, retest that, whether they are, are starting to get reproduction of their symptoms. But as part of our either by if they're a, if it's an occupation let's say they're a painter by simulating them painting for, for a while and then re retest their their uh, meaningful task uh, and see whether we it, it's symptomatic or not and it may be a case that they're just building up the endurance capacity uh, of that fun- functional movement so looking again we uh, about that it's generally their local stabilizers if we're still using that that term uh, that we're yeah, around the cuff Okay, the rotator cuff that's got to work at a low level for a large amount of time. And what's interesting, we we talk about the the cuff and we talk about it having a high endurance capacity. And and I've looked around it and and I I can't find a definitive answer. Is what is an acceptable number of repetitions to do for, let's say, external rotation 
uh, with resistance or against resistance that says you have achieved the, uh, a marker that says that's how, that's a baseline for a good endurance capacity. We talk about 30, 20 to 30 reps, but I can't find any research at all that mm. says 20 to 30, 30 reps is, is what, what we need. Yeah. So we will, uh, take, uh, with our athletes, we will... We will rehab them at a low level. Then we'll do a fatiguing task. We'll we'll start off with something like a centrally fatiguing task. We may get them to do a, some interval sprints on, on a bike, so we're not locally affecting the shoulder. Mm. And then we'll, we'll look at their meaningful task again. And if that's all right, then we'll look at some local tasks, whether we get them to repeat their functional movement or simply get them to repeat some loaded external ro- rotation for 20 to 30 repetitions and, and see what our functional our meaningful task is after that. Fantastic. That's really interesting. Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. You've been involved um, in some recent research. Uh, I know you were involved in 2018. Um, there was a grip, strength and shoulder recruitment study. Uh, that was quite interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about that and uh, how that relates to practice? Yeah, well, I'm a bit obsessive at the moment about grip strength. We did a, a study a few years ago looking at uh, the correlation between uh, grip strength and posterior shoulder uh, shoulder strength, uh, and we found you know, an excellent correlation uh, between grip strength and and uh, shoulder strength um, in there. And since that, we've been looking at looking at it as a marker, really, to try and see um, if it can tell us lots of things about the shoulder. So I'm looking as our research partner for the Institute of Sport for our upper limb is we collaborate with Liverpool Hope University. And we investigated the relationship between grip strength and shoulder muscle fatigue. And, and again, we wanted to see could grip strength be a surrogate marker for upper limb performance. Mm. So basically, we looked at 15 EMG of 15 muscles around their shoulder girdle, and then at baseline, and then we looked at the EMG uh, after an exhausting task, uh, and then again after a 10-minute recovery period and at each one of those time points we measured the grip strength hmm. and what we found is which is probably what you'd expect that uh, grip strength decreased following the, uh, the exhausting exercise protocol uh, and it recovered to baseline uh, after the 10 minute rest period but was in, what was interested and was highlighted in the paper was that the, the EMG indices of fatigue didn't recover back to their pre- pre-fatigue protocol uh, level okay uh, which again is quite good because that shows us this uh, reorganization of movement strategy that we have around muscles and around joint almost this this movement variability it is you know, we've got lots of muscles and our emg is, is picking up certain fibers within there but again when they're fatigued some other fibers within the within the muscle Will, will give us uh, will give us the activity that we want. We don't use a hundred percent of our muscle fibers, well, ever, and yeah. certainly in, in some moderate level exercise from 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 there. So that sort of sparing of muscle fibers is a good thing. Though in the paper, it sort of seems to come across as a, as a negative thing, saying that you know even though your grip strength's back, your that those muscle fibers are not firing the, the same. They're just the muscle fibers that we that we had an EMG on. We're not looking at the whole muscle group. And so clinically, I guess, so is there some application? Is there some direct application to uh, clinical practice, to assessment or rehabilitation or workload management? Yeah, yeah so, so again, we're, 
Crip strength, we're, we're using uh, quite a lot. We've, we've got uh, some studies going on now looking at baseline data. I mean, grip strength is just a phenomenal thing. When, when you look across literature, what it's, it, it's being shown to be associated with healthy-related quality of life, mm. a powerful predictor of uh, disability, mm. uh, morbidity and mortality. Mm. Uh, and we can use it, I think we can use it as a window in, into the shoulder. Yeah. Uh, so uh, during we can use it to see when the cuff, as we know, the posterior cuff starts to get get tired. If we get a drop off in that grip strength, and, and, and what's an axe, what's a cutoff point for a drop off? So we've used a value of eight hmm. percent. Uh, I think we use eight percent because I read that in a paper and it seemed good enough for for, for me. <laughs> uh, uh, Fair enough. Greater than eight percent drop off, then we class that as significant. And we'd use that. Uh, we'd use some form of, of intervention to uh, to uh, get that grip strength back up uh, uh, to, to the uh, pre-testing time. So we can use it as a uh, for to monitor athletes during a training session. Hmm. And one of the, you know, so if we look at something like swimming, though we, we don't do it, but it's a suggested thing is we can when they're doing their sort of five k swim on the morning. Okay, uh, uh, time periods through there, we can just get them to pause, we can get them to do their grip strength, okay, which will take literally five seconds, mm. okay, and look on and we can start to monitor them and look for decrements in their grip strength, which could be saying that we're starting to get some problems around their rotating cuff, and then get them to pause a little bit before they complete the set and come out at the end of the swim set saying, I've got a bit of a shoulder in, and, and it's a bit, a bit stiff. Mm. Uh, and similar between in the gym when we're when our athletes are doing their S and C sessions, when to make sure that their their rest periods are optimal between doing some of the upper limb things. So again, we think we might be able to use it as a as as a sort of prospective tool to to avoid local shoulder muscle injury. Ian, that's really really fantastic. Um, so we're going to see you at Physio UK. That's for sure. Um, and I'm sure your your presentation is going to be really thought-provoking. Um, and I suspect we're probably going to run out of time when it comes to asking questions because there'll be that many people that, that will want to ask you questions because I think the subject will definitely resonate with um, the audience. And um, we will be recording, um, obviously, all of the presentations as well. So there will be a recording on our on our YouTube channel, the MACP YouTube channel. Um, so before we uh, call time, really, I guess, um, how can people find out a little bit more about you? Um, where can we find you? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, as I say, obviously, I've been qualified 30 years, so I'm a bit of a Luddite, as we, uh, as we found out when we were trying to tee this up. But... Uh, uh, so, um, they, uh, yeah, the Skype didn't work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only social media I'm, I'm active on is on Twitter, and, and my um, my handle for Twitter is Ian at back underscore in underscore action, um, which is uh, my, my clinic name, and I um, put lots of things on there around uh, rehab and a lot of stuff around around, around the shoulder. So uh, I tend to do uh, very rarely put things about what I've had to drink or what I've had to eat. My, my only slip is I occasionally when bands play football club are having a good run, I'll tend to put some things on. So that's not very often then. Generally, it's all educational purposes. So I'm, I'm contactable for, through there. I, I answer um, 
all uh, uh, requests uh, and the other way if you're desperate it is um, I'm contactable by email at uh, the English Institute of Sport which is ian.horsley at eis2win.co.uk so eis2win.co.uk that's fantastic and um, also um, Ian what we will do as well we will um, uh, we will put a link to your uh, research page on uh, ResearchGate many of the articles are um, freely downloadable um, and they're very very good reads as well so if people are more interested in your research as well then um, we'll also put that um, on with the podcast as well Ian thank you very much for your time um, it's much much appreciated and on behalf of the MOCP we, uh, I would like to thank you um, for this podcast thank you thanks for the opportunity to everybody cheers real pleasure